Welcome to the sermon podcast of Knowing God Church. Knowing God Church is passionate about knowing God and proclaiming His glory in all that we say and do. We gather together weekly for worship and expository preaching through the Bible, verse by verse. For more information, please visit our website at knowinggodchurch.com. Okay, so we have been going through John chapter 8. And even as far back as John chapter 7, we've seen that Jesus is, during this Feast of Tabernacles, He's basically offering Himself to the people in every way possible. And I'm thinking even back to earlier in John when He was telling the crowds, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Eat of Me and you'll live forever. And then we come into this Feast of of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths and we have these ceremonies that are happening. And Jesus watches the ceremony of the, of the water being poured out, and He says, If you're thirsty, come to Me and drink, and I'll give you water that from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And He was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw last week that He saw the ceremony of the, the candle lighting, where they would light candles all into the, into the night, and from far away you could see this bright light coming from this certain part of the temple, and it was to remember how God went before them as a pillar of fire in Israel. And he's saying to them, I am the light of the world, which was a claim to be the Messiah and a claim to be God. So he's been offering, he's saying, I am the bread, I am, give me, I'll, I'll give you water, I am the light of the world, and they've been rejecting him. And so now we come to this time where he, he sounds harsh, in what he's saying now to the Jews. But it's not as if he hasn't been offering himself to them. They're just unwilling. And so we're, the whole thing is just escalating as we go through the section of John called the Great Rejection. We just see it escalating. And um, so we've just, we, we read John 8, verses 21 through 30, and the title for today's message isn't very positive, but it's just where we're at in the Scriptures. It's uh, the horror of knowing too late. When you finally know, but it's too late. Jesus warns those in this text that are rejecting Him that they will eventually have to acknowledge who He is, but it's going to be too late for them. So in verse 21, He said, I go away now, and you will seek Me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Remember back in chapter 7, 33, when they were trying to seize Him, and He said to them, In a little while I will go but it's not my time yet. I'm with you for a little while longer. It was like him saying, you have no control over God's timetable. You can't seize me yet because I'm going to be with you for a little while longer. But now we see he's saying, now I'm going. So it's very close to the time now where he will be leaving them. He had just said, a little while longer I am with you, but now he's saying, I am going away. Think of the finality of what he's saying. You're willingly ignoring the truth of what I'm saying to you. You see the signs, you hear what I'm saying, you have no arguments against what I'm telling you, and yet you just continue to just bicker and and bring up false accusations against me and act like what I'm saying is crazy. You're willfully ignorant. Don't you realize you're going to die in your sins? So this is the horror of hell. It's when you finally realize, but it's too late. When you've rejected in this life, you've seen the truth, you've rejected it, and you get to the end and you realize, okay, that was the truth, but there's no more chances left. It's too late for you. That's why it says there's weeping, because you finally know, but it's too late. 
And that's why it says in the Scriptures, today is the day of salvation. Every day, every knee will bow, but there comes a point in our life, everybody who is not going to be saved, there's a point in their life where they come to the last chance. And they don't know when that is. They, they might think they have more time. They're just going to reject it for now. And when they get more time, when their schedule frees up, they'll, they'll think on these things more. But no one really knows when their last breath will be. Only God knows. Psalm 90, verse 11 and 12, teach me the number of my days. Right? He, says, he says, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? Teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 11 through 12. That's why we sing that song, We are a vapor and you are eternal. Our lives are here and gone. And even though we won't be saved in this room, we, we might know God, it should give us a sense of urgency, I think, towards those we love that aren't in the faith, who haven't come to Christ, because we don't really know when their last breath is going to be. We never know. So it should give an urgency to our prayers and a sense of nowness to it. Today is the day of salvation. And if we're uncertain, it should give us ourselves a sense of, I want to be certain today that I'm in the faith. I want to know today that if it was my last breath, I wouldn't be dying in my sins. So he's saying to them, I go away, and then you will seek me. They're going to continue to seek them. Today they're still seeking their Messiah. Today the Jews that rejected Christ are today still seeking their Messiah. He's come and gone and they're still seeking Him, and they're going to die in their sins unless they come to Him. The verse 22, the Jews were saying, is He going to kill Himself? That's basically what they're asking. Surely he's not, He will not kill Himself, will He? What does He mean by this, I will go away? He's just going to go kill Himself? That's not what He means, right? And also, they should have known what He meant. He's been telling them from chapters Previous to this, I come from my Father. I've come here to bring life. I am returning to my Father. In fact, we know they understood it because back in John 5, when he healed the man by the pool of Bethesda, they said to him, you're healing on the Sabbath. And he said, my Father's been working till now and I have been working. And they knew he meant God when he said that. And so they wanted to kill him. So they know what he means. So when they say things like, What's he going to kill himself? This isn't actual ignorance. It's willful ignorance. They're, they're trying to twist his words because they don't want to believe what he's saying. And that's why he's getting so harsh here in this passage because now you come to approach people that you've given them the reasons, you've given them the evidence, and now they're just unwilling. And so what do you do with that? So this is Jesus' response, starting in verse 23. He says, You are from below. And I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. There are two ways to understand what He's saying, and both of them are correct. The first one is Christ from above, we are from below. He doesn't need to give a defense of Himself to them anymore. He doesn't need to defend Himself to them. If they're going to stand around and try to make a mockery of what He's saying... He doesn't need to defend himself or prove himself to them. He is from above. And that should have given them a clue because they would have known, these are Pharisees, these are Jews, they knew the Scripture. They would have known Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 where it says, um, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven 
and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. So God's in heaven, you're on earth. When Jesus says, I am from above, you are from below, what he's saying in one sense is, let your words be few. You think you can take lightly what I'm saying. You think you can make a mockery out of me. You have no idea. I'm from above, you're from below. Let your words be be few. But the second way to take what he's saying, which also makes sense, is when he says, I'm from above and you're from below. That's why I said to you, you'll die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins because he's from above. He knows how to get there. He's going back and he knows the way. And we can't possibly get there on our own. Being good doesn't get us there. We can't earn it. It's, a, it's, not, a matter of, it's not a matter of works. It's a matter of our nature. We're of this earth. We have no idea how to get to above, how to get to heaven. If we died, we would have no way of getting there. It's, it's, it's impossible for us. And the only way to heaven is to believe. The only way to not die in your sins is to believe. Also, um, very important here, your, your translations might say, unless you believe that I am he. You can go ahead and scratch out the word he if it's there, because what he's saying is, unless you believe that I am and that's a clue. Jesus says it that way on purpose, and the Jews would have understood it a certain way. And I'm going to tell you what that is. You may have heard this before. In Exodus 3, verse 14, is one of the most powerful statements where God is describing himself to Moses. And all the Jews knew this. Every single Jew would have known this verse. I'm convinced it's one of the most popular places. Exodus 3.14, God wants to send Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And Moses says in verse 13, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they may say to me, What is his name? So what shall I say to them? He's basically saying, God, what is your name? And instead of giving a name, what God Yahweh, Jehovah says in verse 14 is, I am who I am. This is what you'll say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me. So he's not saying to Moses, I am God, or I am eternal, or I am love, or I am light, or I am this or that. He's saying, I am. No one else can say that. He simply is. From all time past into all eternity, he is. And when Jesus says here, he didn't say, unless you believe I am he, he says, unless you believe that I am. And to prove to you that the Jews understood this, we're going to see in chapter 8, verse 59, that when he says, before Abraham was, I am, they pick up stones to throw at him because they know what he's saying. They know that what he's actually saying is, I am God. I am And so here, though, they're still trying to twist his words and make fun of him and make a mockery out of it. So when he says, unless you believe that I am, so how do they respond? They say, who? Who are you? You didn't finish the sentence. He intentionally didn't finish the sentence, but they're just making a mockery of it. They don't really want to believe what he's saying. The statement is clear, but they're rejecting it. And that's the whole point of this name, is to say, I am. I exist as I exist. That's what he's saying. So, in verse 25, Jesus says, what, or sorry, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? This is what I've been telling you from the beginning. 
My message hasn't changed. So even though in the story of John, John is chosen by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to give us a story in, in a kind of progressive manner, we have to understand that from the beginning, when Jesus started to preach, his message never changed. He didn't start out saying he was the Messiah, then later say he was God. His message never changed. He says, what have I been saying from the beginning? So we can think of the first night when the disciples met Jesus on the road and said, where are you staying? And they went and they dwelt with him. And they, he talked. You can guarantee that that first night he was saying to them, I am Messiah, I am God, I am the Son of God, I have been, I will be. I'm, he was, his message hasn't changed. So, and it's also important to notice that his message doesn't change based on, uh, to cater to those that don't believe. He doesn't water it down or try to make it more simple for the Pharisees. Or he doesn't try to use their lingo or kind of laugh when they're laughing, making fun of him, or try to change the way he's saying it. The truth is the truth. And what we need in this world is what the Pharisees needed then. What we need is a message based on truth of Scripture, we don't need people who feel like they have to water it down for unbelievers so it's entertaining or relevant or refreshing or always something new, always something accessible and easy to understand. Um, many pastors feel this pressure that if they just teach the Bible that it'll bore everybody and they'll lose everyone to some, some other more exciting, hip, young experience. And maybe that's true, but... My belief is, it's like what Jesus said, this is what I've been saying from the beginning. He's not going to change his message. The truth is the truth, and God gave us his word because he wants us to understand it. He wants to speak to us through it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So let's stop pretending like there's a way we can make the message true and yet not foolishness to the world. Now, imagine you're Jesus, and you've been saying this over and over again in different ways, using different metaphors, using different things for everyday life, like, oh, yeah, bread, the manna from the yeah, I'm the bread of life. Oh, see, water? I can give you that water. Oh, see, lights? I'm the light of the world. He's doing all that he can to explain everything to them, teaching in their synagogues, and they're still rejecting him. Imagine the control you would have to have to not let fleshly rage take over. We know that Christ was tempted in all ways like we are, but not with sin. So I could tell some stuff must have been festering down here, like, oh, you're just not listening, and I want to give you something. So notice what he says. He says, I have um, many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things I heard from him, these I speak. It's almost like he's saying, man, I have something to say to you, but I'm biting my tongue because judgment is not yet. Imagine you're Jesus, and whatever you say comes to pass. You've got to really watch your words. There's a time in, in Matthew chapter 21 when uh, Jesus curses a tree and it withers. Matthew 21. Also in John eleven forty three, that's when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he goes to the grave, and the door opens, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And you might have heard the joke, it's a good thing he didn't just say, come out, because then all that were dead would have come out, he had to say Lazarus, so that they didn't all come. Whatever he said comes to pass. So he could have judged them right then and right there, and they would have been eternally judged. What he's saying, though, is, I am obedient to my Father. He sent me to speak a message. I have things to say to you, and judgment is coming, but it's not yet. I'm biting my tongue. 
He will address their intentional ignorance, but it will come later. In verse 27, they didn't realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Because they don't want to. You know, we've read the end of this section, the great rejection, the end of it in John 12, when it says they would not believe, and so therefore they could not believe. Here we have a situation where they're unwilling to understand, so they can't understand. His message hasn't changed. He's been very clear, and yet they still don't know that he was speaking of the Father. And so he continues, and he says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Remember, not I am He, but I am. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. The question that I had when I was reading this was, why will this cause them to know? When the Son of Man is lifted up, why will that cause them to know that that He's the Messiah? They don't expect the Messiah to die. They didn't understand that in their prophecies that the Messiah would come and die. That that didn't compute to them. So why does He say, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm going to read it to you in Matthew 27. Verses 50 through 54. This is when Jesus is on the cross. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So when he was crucified, all those things happened, and many at that point said, Okay, whoa, this was the Messiah. This was the Son of God. And Jesus knew that would happen. That's why he says, When you lift me up, then you will know. Now, um, the Son of Man is a term that comes from Daniel chapter 7. If you want to look at that on your own, you can. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. The Son of Man is what he's called. And so he's basically saying, the Son of Man, the Messiah that you know about from Daniel, that's me, and I'm going to be lifted up, which means crucified. And so he's using both those terms in a way they would understand to say, when you crucify your Messiah, then you will know that I was he. Everything I do is pleasing to him, he says. They have nothing to accuse him of. He's absolutely righteous. None of us can say this. If you go to share the gospel with somebody and they know you well enough, they're going to find something against you. Oh, you just say that now, but I remember last year you were doing this. We all have that in our life. Everyone can accuse us, which is why we don't point to ourselves, and that's why when we give our testimony to somebody, it's not enough just to say what we've done, where we've been, where we are now. Our testimony should point to Christ because Christ is blameless. He never did anything wrong. He's done everything the Father asked. He's pleased him in every way. He fulfilled the law. In Matthew 5, 17, he did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in Philippians 3, verse 9, we are righteous by faith. He did it for us. He, his life of, of obedience and fulfilling all the law, 
All of the righteousness he earned through that life was given to us through faith. That's called the imputation. He's imputed his righteousness that he earned while living on this earth to us through faith, which is crazy to think about when we believe in him. God doesn't see our faults anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us, given to us through faith. It's a miracle of miracles. Unless we believe that he is, we will die in our sins. But when we do believe that he is, we don't die in our sins. We live. There is life in his name. Not just eternal life later, but life right now. Just some some review about that. John 1 verse 4, it said, In him is life, and the life was the light of men. Later on in John 10, verse 10, he'll say, I came that they may have life, and that abundantly. John 20, 31, we've read it multiple times. Um, John wrote these things so that we might believe, and believing will have a life in his name. So it's all about life. One of the biggest themes of this entire book is life. So then verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him because of the power of his words. He's not really being hidden here, is he? He's saying, I am I am God. I will return to the Father. If you believe in me, you won't die in your sins. And people are believing. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we feel hungry, let's come to Christ. If we feel thirsty, let's come to Christ. If we feel like we're walking in darkness, let's come to Christ. This is what he's been offering to us. Let's come to him, believe in him, find forgiveness of sins, righteousness by faith, Life in his name, water in the desert, food for our souls, light in the dark. Let us believe that he is. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you that where two or three are gathered, you're there in the midst of them. I thank you that you're here with us in this wonderful place and that you've, you've met us with the words that you intended for us to hear. God, we ask in faith that you would allow some of those words to sink deep within us, your words from the scripture. And if any part of it was taught correctly, if any part of it was taught accurately, and it was what you wanted to say, then I pray that it would stick as well. Um, We just ask you to, to be with us, to continue to feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Knowing God Church. Our desire is to bring glory to God and to be helpful to you in your pursuit of Him through expository preaching of the Scriptures. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you have any questions or prayer requests, please visit our website at knowinggodchurch.com. 